been St. John Paul, and, and when he was alive, said, I sense that the moment has come to commit all of the church's energies to a new evangelization. No believer in Christ, no institution of the church can avoid this supreme duty to proclaim Christ to all peoples. Welcome to the Bishop and Vickers. I'm Bishop Tom Daly from the Diocese of Spokane here in Eastern Washington. And joining me are the three Vickers who assist in the Ministry of Evangelization, our topic for today's radio show. Father Connell, the Vicar General and Rector of Our Lady Lord's Cathedral. And by assist, he means we do what he, he tells us to do. Offer it up. Father Pat Curse, the pastor of the esteemed St. Thomas More Parish and the Vicar for Priests. Hello. That's very oh, insightful. Father that <laughs> oh, Brian Mee, wow, Pastor St. Augustine's and Concise. Vicar for Finance. Hello, great people. Oh, Set <laughs> <Seven laughs> where does that come from? This is some some we're, we're recording a show on Election Day, and um, Father Mee was running for... Um, mayor. Mayor. Oh, great. Oh, I'm a write-in. I'm a write-in for mayor. <laughs> I think Pope John Paul, God rest his soul, did not like priests to run for office. Do you remember? Oh, well, remember if they Bob won. He, he didn't like them winning. Well, <laughs> so I don't worry about me winning. I will okay. not be Well, there's that Haitian priest that became president, right? I almost said Jean-Jacques Ollier, but that's a different no, That's the founder of the Sulpicians. Right, oh, thank you. Yes. Uh, you were a Sulpician for three weeks. In my you? heart. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's hold that for another show. Mental illness and the clergy will be our topic. For, uh, that's our topic every week. Delusions this week we're grandeur. talking about evangelization and... Um, the, our Holy Father, Pope Francis, uh, has spoken about, in his words, I invite all Christians everywhere at this very moment to a renewed personal encounter with Jesus Christ, or at least an openness to letting him encounter them. I ask all of you to do this unfailing each day. Father me, you were originally um, going to be a missionary uh, based upon your personnel file. And uh, would you... <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad that's the only thing you're bringing out of that file. <laughs> what, uh, how would you see this in the, in the history of the church uh, and the call of fidelity to Jesus Christ? How does the church see evangelization today based upon your vast studies and your experience as, as both a missionary and a priest and a former uh, wannabe abbot? <laughs> well, that's too big of a question, but you're right. I did have a uh, great interest in mission work early on. I worked with Lynn Mary missionaries down in Georgia when I was in college and then in Cambodia with the Missionary Brothers of Charity and then, of course, in Guatemala for a number of years. But looking at evangelization today, I think one of the things is, um, even in my own case, you could say it's always, uh, we seem to think that we need to go somewhere distant to be an evangelizer. And uh, that certainly is not true. And I think we kind of, perhaps we look for others to be those evangelizers as well. And oftentimes in the past, at least, it's been the religious or priest. And, uh, but it really, I think the prime evangelizers is uh, the family or those in the home. And just very quickly, one of the things I remember a few years ago, I was on this historical uh, house tour that they have every Mother's Day here in, in Spokane, or here in Spokane, Spokane. Spokane. Okay. 
<laughs> and I was going through these houses, and besides, I'd sneak into these rooms and see what they have and all the rest, and they were very interesting. But I began to recognize uh, in a few houses I went to, it was very obvious what these people's faith uh, was. And in some, uh, there was a whole stack of Bibles and all, and it was very clear that they came from a Lutheran background for but in a couple of the houses, it was very clear they were Catholics. And um, because of the artwork they had, because of a crucifix, because of different devotional things. And I think that's where evangelization begins. One of the things I think in our homes today, oftentimes in a Catholic home, if there is a crucifix, it's in the back bedroom or the basement. And I don't say that in a demeaning way, but we have moved our faith out of the living room oftentimes visually. And I think our faith has to be visible. Um, the Washington Post has that great democracy dies in darkness, <laughs> but uh, our faith can die in darkness. So, I mean, we have to make it apparent. We have to bring it to light. And first of all, that's in the home. That's an excellent point. That's Just a little clarification. Did you, in, in that historical tour, did anyone happen to have, um, would you call it Pachamama? Uh, or is this pre-Pachamama? <laughs> it's pre-Pachamama. It was pre-Pachamama. It's just November, and we're in the rating sweep, so we have to kind of spice up the show. <laughs> so as, as a, if I could piggyback or dovetail on what the Father Me uh, was saying about you know putting our faith on display, I was at uh, the Vigor for Priest Parish the other night. Um, what night was that? I don't know. That was Tuesday. That was Sunday night. No way. That was anyway, Sunday night. It was, um, and Tuesday night. And he showed us uh, the new stations that are being installed at, at St. Thomas More. Some of them. Some of them. Um, I guess the, the ones that are paid for. Uh, so if you'd like, <laughs> so you like to send a donation, two of them. <laughs> log on to. St. Thomas More Parish. <laughs> um, no, they're, they're these bronze patina. Is that right? It's a bronze patina on, on yes. the stations of the cross. Anyway, they're stunningly beautiful. And they really... Um, they really uh, invite you in to stand, you know, they're at eye level, they're very detailed, uh, very well done. And and um, I am sure that they're going to be a source of a, a whole lot of uh, reflection on the mystery of the cross in people's lives because they're so beautiful and, and so uh, um, so clearly conveying a truth without using any words. And that's what beauty does. And, um, and that's why we've kind of been a... a um, we protected the patrimony of the church throughout the years. We've we've been a, a custodian of the arts in the in the in the life of the church, uh, particularly in things that are um, <clears throat> created uniquely. Uh, you know, the, you have stations that are are one of a kind. They're, they're the first, I guess. Uh, someone could have a reproduction made, but I, I think about that too in terms of the cathedral. We've uh, before we did the renovation. You know, the cathedral is beautiful and all that, but. After the renovation, we've seen, I'd say we have twice as many requests for weddings now for people who want to be married in a, in a space that is uh, beautiful. So I, I would argue that... That's why you doubled the suggested donation. Well, we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, Father, uh, Connell brings up a very important point that I what think Bishop, that Bishop Barron <laughs> speaks about in that series on Catholicism. If you've ever seen that, uh, he frequently uh, f finds himself uh, in the midst of a, a beautiful church, whether in Europe or um, even the United States, and he sees that as a way to teach, to, to bring people to Jesus Christ. Pope Francis was speaking about, lastly, we cannot forget that evangelization is first and foremost about preaching the gospel to those who do not know Jesus Christ or who have always rejected them. Many of these are quietly seeking God, 
led by yearning to see his face, even in countries of ancient Christian tradition. Father oh, that dead space. Wait, I well, think I, Father Curtis has something he wants well, to Well, I was just, say. you know, you mentioned Bishop Barron, and I was just reading an article this morning, I think, about Bishop Barron is obviously a very profound voice out there now and one who's who's uh, been compared to Fulton Sheen in terms of his impact on, on society, on the culture with evangelizing mm -hmm. to the culture and so forth. And just uh, reflecting on the different modes in which how evangelization has been done through the years. And we think, well, who's the first evangelizer? Well, I guess we could say the Holy Spirit, but if we back way up, the, fir <laughs> I think that would the, be fair. the, the first one to announce the good news was the angel to the shepherd. So who are the objects of the evangelization? Well, here are these poor shepherds from the Jewish tradition, and they get the good news announced to them of the birth of Jesus Christ. And then you could say, well, John the Baptist was maybe next in line. And then, of course, Jesus himself saying, you know, I came for the good news and go forth and proclaim the good news, bring people in. Well, then through the centuries, we get different ways of doing this evangelization, the objects you know, sometimes those people way out there the, that have never heard of Jesus Christ get to John Paul II, the new evangelization, who are the objects? Well, he turned it in on ourselves. We need to re-evangelize ourselves before moving then out beyond that. And then now you get Bishop Barron, you go to the airwaves and, and you, word on you fire. the social media, word on fire. and, and uh, You know, I go back and say I would um, contest Act, the Holy the, Spirit. Act, surprise, you know, the, surprise. Holy, the Holy Spirit, yes. I, that Father was, me contesting? I was, surprise, uh, surprise. I was still tracking there and the angel, but I would say the angel that came to the Blessed Mother first. Oh, okay. But then I'd say the Blessed Mother herself, because as soon as um, she receives the news, what do we hear that she does? She makes haste into the hill country to bring, you know, to, uh, to go to her cousin Elizabeth with joy. So I think, first of all, there's haste and there's joy in evangelization. And the other thing I think um, sometimes we can get caught, and this is where I'd go back to what Father Connell says. I'm not contesting what Father Connell says in this. Uh, I would agree. I Mark that on your calendar. I concur. I concur. You know, so often we get caught up in words, and especially in our society today, there's too many words. And we're a visual people, so I think it is through the visual arts uh, images uh, that speak, and that's how we're going to be heard because, you know, people just don't, there's too many words. No one probably remembers what we've said in the last 10 years. Right. <laughs> you mentioned Bishop Barron, and uh, that's really his whole point. In uh, He wrote a very uh, uh, short book, easy, easily accessible to uh, anyone, uh, entitled Heaven in Stone and Glass. And he talks about the theology of medieval architecture and how it, it tells the story of the, of the Catholic faith uh, without using any words in terms of the, the architecture, the art, the windows, um, I would recommend it to our listening audience, Heaven in Stone and Glass by Robert Barron. His smaller work that is more timely is, what is it, Letter to a Suffering Church? And that in is Spokane. also available. Uh, I think it's actually the Church in the United States. Oh. <laughs> the uh, bishops meeting is next week, um, and one of the topics Father, uh, Bishop Barron will be speaking to us is a final report of a study on evangelization. And uh, there's some troubling statistics that uh, he's discovered that we've seen and heard and read in certain circles, and that is the amount of uh, people no longer claiming to be Catholic. And um, part of it is uh, the discussion raised is we have a group of people maybe fitting into that so-called millennial generation whose parents never really shared the faith or modeled the faith for them. So they're not 
these individuals aren't walking away from anything. They've never been giving some, given something. So that becomes the challenge that uh, not just uh, for us in the United States, but but universal church. Uh, in your parishes, uh, we're all called in the Diocese of Eastern Washington, the Diocese of Spokane, to, to proclaim the good news. What are some examples or individuals in your parishes that kind of stand out that uh, as models of evangelization, maybe in either teachers or even lay people who have brought the faith. I know um, sometimes we go to some of the rural communities and you have a couple of individuals who just really are, I'm thinking that in the parish of Nispelum, that community there, there's, there's a catechist who has done so many roles of evangelization. Uh, how about in your parishes, the bigger parishes? We have a, a, a group uh, called the Moms Group. Uh, young mothers uh, of children who get together on Wednesdays every every week to uh just to visit, support one another, uh, talk about you know children and family life and how to live the Catholic faith with all the uh, the difficulties of the culture today, and I think they find great support in one another and uh, and in that sense you know evangelize one another and strengthen their roles as as wives and mothers. They also reach out to the new members of the parish. They they prepare these little welcome uh, baskets uh, and reach out and try to connect all the new, newly registered uh, households to a particular mass or uh, to a particular part of the community in some way. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're speaking about evangelization, both as the church universal and here in the local church in Welcome back. It's Bishop Daly, and I'm with the three vicars, and we're speaking about the topic of evangelization, timely, not only because of what the bishops will be discussing of many topics next week in Baltimore, but also the ongoing call for the new evangelization that I think had its roots in St. Paul VI, but really Pope St. John Paul II did much to speak about. Father Me, before the break, was going to speak about the works of evangelization at St. Augustine's Parish. Would you uh, want to toot your own horn about that, please? <laughs> oh, well, now that you insist, Bishop, uh, there's a couple of things. There's a group in, uh, not the parish as much as Cateldo, the school, but connected with the parish is Cephas, Cephas, and it's a program. And one of the uh, activities they have is they have mass and muffins on Tuesday morning, and they bring a group of third graders and a group of eighth graders to morning mass. And they always have, um, well, I have to say someone, um, a great preacher on that Tuesday morning hmm. to speak Is to them. Is it your day off Tuesday? <laughs> yeah. Father <laughs> Barraza. They love him. Anyone wandering through. But anyway, that's uh, we've done that for the last couple of weeks. And... It really is a very good way of just having the children be introduced to Mass beyond the Sunday Mass. And then I think afterwards, the idea of they go and they have some muffins, and then they talk about uh, what they saw, what they heard at Mass, whatever questions they have. So it's it's a small little thing, but uh, it's a good thing as well. The other thing, we're a very food-oriented parish at St. Augustine, so uh, there's also... Now, beginning fatten. last year. It's obvious. <laughs> oh, my. Um, beginning last year, or the year, no, last year, I guess it was, uh, starting these dinner groups in the parish. And so it's just for 
grown-ups for, and there's usually eight in a group, and I think there's five or six different groups, and they get together perhaps four or five times uh, throughout the year. And it's been really very beneficial for bringing people together in the parish who haven't known each other, but they do form a small community over the food. And, uh, of course, many things are discussed, and a lot of times uh, the conversations revolve around religion and uh, the possibility of perhaps getting a new pastor at some point as well. <laughs> <laughs> as well. But we you could know, all identify <laughs> people in our parish that are wonderful just naturally at evangelization. Who want a new pastor, of course, but and in big ways and small ways are out there Huge. giving witness to faith, proclaiming <laughs> that good news in Christ, uh, sometimes in words, sometimes not in words. By the way, I heard, was that attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, you know, preach the gospel always if necessary, and I heard he didn't really say that. But no, you know, that's it, another show. Yeah, that's, that's Vincent Pilati, I think. Yeah. But, Vincent you know, there's a part of me that wants to say that... I do Pilates. <laughs> you, you, you did. I did. did. Right. Oh, all right. That's okay, let's circle back, let's circle back to circle me. Circle back to you. <laughs> and uh, I was going to say, there's a part of me that uh, wants to say that everything we do in a parish life is about evangelization, uh, whether it's maintenance concerns or financial decisions, catechetics, outreach, and so forth. But... That can water down so much that it doesn't come to mean much of anything. And and we do, in fact, in structures of church and, and be it diocese or parish, sometimes we'll have something called a, a committee on evangelization. We have an office of evangelization and so forth. Uh, Bishop Barron, right, is the chair of the bishop's committee, committee on evangelization. And kind of think, well, that in a sense, that incorporates m- much of other things that happen in the parish, liturgy is also about evangelization, and and but a group I think of in in our parish and many parishes that does evangelization in a in a very spontaneous way I think is the Saint Vincent de Paul Society, who are very responsive, very generous in going out to respond to people's requests for material help. But it's a very spiritual based community. Their first thing is about spiritual formation, and they go out ready for whatever they encounter as they go to homes and apartments and see. They may be given an opportunity there by the Holy Spirit to preach the good news other than just give people some food or some rent assistance to to talk to people about the Lord. And they will share stories of how that comes up very spontaneously and and they're just uh, moved by how that kind of naturally happens when they're just out giving them some food. We uh, are blessed in this diocese to have some strong uh, Vincent de Paul Society councils. I know Father uh, Kirst was previously the pastor at St. Mary in, in, uh, in the Valley. They also had a strong uh, group there, but uh, from my experience uh, in talking to them and working uh, with the society, both councils in California here, it is exactly what Father Chris said, the ability to go to people in the time of need and the responses, not to proclaim the gospel directly, but in fact their generosity, their availability. The council members often are called upon on Christmas morning or Thanksgiving to assist, and they go two by two. And for those in our listening audience who wonder, is there a way for you to, to be involved in this, one of the great uh, opportunities would be to join a council in, of the St. Vincent de Paul Society and continue that work of mercy. In our own diocese, I'm thinking of uh, the, the missionaries of charity uh, that are in the convent at St. Patrick's in Hilliard here in Spokane. But the sisters go, whether they're in the community around Hilliard uh, whether they're in other parts of Spokane, I think that sometimes in ministry with street people down near the bridges, their work down in Pasco, they've been in the farm worker camps outside of Pasco. 
the sisters bring the good news of Jesus Christ uh, in their compassion and their assistance and their joy. So we're very blessed in this diocese to have, uh, as we're hearing from uh, the, the three pastors speak about individuals within their parish, but also our religious community of sisters, the missionaries of charity, who continue the work of St. Teresa of Calcutta, but to do so here locally. Again, less, less in what they say, but certainly in what they do. I'd like to circle back, uh, if I could, for a moment <laughs> sure. to something. Yeah. Father, we mentioned um, Cataldo, and uh, it reminded me of a, of a married couple whom I know who, um, <clears throat> they pulled their kids out of public school recently and sent them to St. Charles. And uh, almost immediately they noticed uh, an increase, not just in, in academic excellence, but what the school was doing to their kids in terms of forming them in the faith, uh, little things like the sign of the cross and, and asking questions about Jesus and Mary and the church. Well, to make a long story short, um, they are, they, you will baptize them, uh, Bishop, uh, at Easter. They're part of the group to be baptized. The entire family's coming into the church. Um, and they credit it in large part to St. Charles School and what that school has meant uh, to their family. So I think, you know, our, our schools, and I know that's one of your... Uh, significant priorities as our schools, and um, I think it's an example of how our schools themselves are evangelizers. So, Bishop, circling forward here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, you're going off to meetings uh, with the bishops this coming week? I leave on the Greyhound tomorrow. And so it's on evangelization, and there's going to be some report given, so... What do you think, uh, looking at evangelization, what do you think is going to be in that report? There should be other reports given, uh, but uh, you might want to just watch the show, the FBI, to find out what that will be. But <laughs> let's let's just stay focused. I'm, uh, uh, you, why don't you stand up and throw a fit or something? No, <laughs> I, I have stood up. I know, but... Uh, on behalf of a strong America. Uh, but we're, I'm anxious to hear Father uh, Bishop Barron's uh, kind of conclusion. It's a more extensive report because... We heard kind of a preview of, of coming attractions in the June meeting when he spoke about this, this, this sad statistic that seems overwhelming that, I don't know, 80% of um, young people uh, or will leave the faith by the time they are late teenagers or perhaps 20. And uh, I sat there and when that, that, that statistic was read to us and that what, what are we doing as kind of the church to... to uh, in one sense, stop it, but sometimes some of the behavior, especially with some of the scandals, is almost as if we're doing all we can uh, to de-evangelize. So I'm hoping, I think Father Mee's question is, is, is a great one, what do we hope to gain from that? I'm hoping that uh, we'll see, for example, how our schools really have to shift part of their focus. Instead of getting kids into great high schools and great colleges, maybe recapture that sense of evangelization, not in, not in a fanatical way, but in a way probably like the St. Vincent de Paul Society does, a genuine way where we as teachers, as priests, uh, share the faith. And our schools, I think, were founded because the faith we saw as, as um, precious, uh, under attack, and uh, not that we want to be a reactionary church, but also we are given this mission by virtue of, of baptism to go out to all nations, and uh, that's what uh, even St. John Paul, and in, in when he was alive, said, I sense that the moment has come to commit all of the church's energies to a new evangelization. No believer in Christ, no institution of the church can avoid this supreme duty to proclaim Christ to all peoples. I think we need to do that beginning, certainly in our parishes and our other institutions, whether it's social services or healthcare, but certainly our schools where we have young people 
uh, before us. His father, Connell, was speaking about that family from St. Charles. I was during the summertime meeting with the St. Charles Finance Council, along with Katie Rickers, the director of Catholic schools. And one of the comments made uh, as, the, as the parish was uh, struggling with the, the cost of education was, um, it was reported by the principal that the only people who were brought into the church, that is, who were welcomed and baptized, were school family. And I thought, this shows you the mission of the church. But for the majority of our Catholic children who aren't in schools, how do you in these remaining minutes best think that we could proclaim the gospel? Hmm. As we all are in stunned silence, because what to do? And you mentioned Bishop Barron citing that statistic of how many young Catholics will be walking away from practice of the faith in their late teens, early 20s. He's big, of course, on, so how do we reach these people? They're not going to be sitting in the pews mm -hmm. to, to proclaim the gospel to. So, so that's big part of his word on fire thing and all of the social media things that he's involved with and, and others is, is that the way they find that that brings up a further challenge of, well, that's great for getting out a message, but how do people come together from that? You know, being together in a chat room is not really Christian community. And, and so the next step becomes, how do we invite people in to form groups? So like Father Me was talking about these dinner groups, is it something analogous to that that's attractive to these people? I know this happens. We do theology on tap things, trying to get people together in a context that's outside the walls of the parish buildings and, and meet people where they are and bring the good news into that. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things that's interesting, uh, you look at most of us priests in parish ministry, uh, we're so engaged in the parish ministry or with the obligations we have in a parish that we haven't the opportunity to really be that involved in the civic life of the community of Spokane. And I think the downside of that is uh, it's getting involved in, somehow in that civic life, not running for mayor like... Um, like Father like, Lee was like I <laughs> am doing, yeah, Mayor of Mayor of Lata. <laughs> Mayor, but uh, but somehow I think we have to find a way of getting ourselves into that the social life, into the civic life of the community, where we're meeting people and they see us not just as those tottering old priests like at the cathedral. Uh, <laughs> Husky, Husky. <laughs> robust, but, but, but robust. They, they can engage us on their turf, and I think somehow we have to find ways of doing that. And I think it is involving ourselves somehow, be it through Rotary or Kiwanis or whatever, whatever the organization is or whatever the event is, well, getting maybe, out with the people. Maybe one of the three vicars will be invited to uh, give the invocation at whoever's uh, elected mayor. I think I want to thank uh, our uh, vicars uh, for our You're this welcome. theme. Yes. Uh, and um, know that they're going to be kept busy. Uh, Father Me is appearing with Mel Torme at the <laughs> yet again. He's still alive at the Jerry Lee a musical in Butte, Montana. It's a Christmas special. It is. Yeah, it but is. we'll hear more about that the next show when we bring um, the noted uh, therapist um, um, Dave Bloom and uh, Julian Pardini. It's a law firm. Well, you'll be hearing more about. But I want to give you kind of a preview of our next upcoming. Show. Thank you. I can hardly wait.